And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and coming up on the show a little bit later, we've got a special guest, Pam Altendorf, is going to be joining us. She is running for the House of Representatives for the state of Minnesota, trying to get her way to St. Paul to affect change in her community. And you might be asking why somebody like Pam on the show. When we talk about issues such as racism or even politics or some of the other issues that are affecting us today, I've often talked about how we need to start at the grassroots level. We need to start with our communities, our neighborhoods, basically the locality of life, where we are right now. Because at the national level, problems aren't going to get solved. I mean, take a look at immigration. Immigration, the problem is getting worse, and the politicians in D.C. have been there forever. Pick any politician, an Nancy Pelosi, a Mitch McConnell, a Chuck Schumer, it doesn't matter, Jerry Nadler, they're all there for years, and the problem still exists. And so if we're going to affect change, it has to start at the local level. So we're going to talk to her and find out why she decided to get into politics and what she's doing to affect change in her community. And hopefully, like when we talk about the show, it's an inspiration, a motivation for you to raise the standard, bring out your inner greatness, and maybe take action yourself to see how you might be able to affect change. So that's coming up a little bit later. But before we get to that, a couple things I wanted to discuss. First off, if you were with us last time, it was episode 129. We talked about ESPN has become, it used to be the entertainment and sports programming network. Now it seems like it's everybody spouts political nonsense. And it's episode 129. You can go to our website, radiowarp.com. That's radiowarp.com to watch it. Or you can go to the SoundCloud account that's listed there, and you can download it, or you can listen to the audio portion, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, for example, Spotify, Pandora, Apple uh, Podcasts, and you can just engine search it, whether it's Yahoo, Bing, Google, or GoDuckGo, or wherever it's at, just type in TWO, Two Steps Head Podcast, and we pop up. But anyways, you can listen to what we talked about, and um, one of the things was the fact that Politics has entered the world of sports, and when I'm watching something, say sports, for example, I don't want to be inundated with political commentary. If I turn to a sports station, I want to hear, talk, see sports. If I want politics, I can go to a political station. Um, now, granted, people have the right to their opinions and their express those opinions, but me, if you're talking politics on a sports station, chances are I'm turning you off, and that was the whole point of episode 129. So... After getting done with episode 129, I sit down and I'm perusing the channels and I come across ESPNU, okay? And they're having a, a 30 for 30 documentary. So 30 for 30 is basically sports documentaries on various things that have gone. And this particular sports documentary for 30 for 30 was on Bobby Knight, remember him? The volatile coach at, uh, the volatile coach at Indiana University basketball coach, and how eventually he lost his job because he choked a player, and it talked about his whole ordeal there. And it interviewed players, and I guess I'd seen it before, but it was, you know, with it being Bobby Knight, you, it's okay, it's like history, reliving, you know, sports history, those moments in time. And sure enough, I joined the program after it started, so it's mid-segment, watching it, and then all of a sudden it goes to commercial break, and the very first commercial that came on wasn't even a commercial. It was more like a public service announcement that basically was promoting the benefits of childhood transgender. Your child is transgender. That's okay. Embrace it. Promote it. Love it. So what did I do? Click, turn the channel. I don't need to see that. Don't need to watch that. Wasn't there for that. And the interesting thing was I just got done talking about that whole thing when, sure enough, it happened. And I seldom watch ESPNU. I can't remember the last time I turned on ESPNU. Maybe a ball game if there was one on. I don't know. I can't even remember. And so the first time I do in a long time, the very first commercial I get is a political ideology pushing me to accept whatever it is that they were wanting me to. And I still don't know what the gist of it was. It was just... My 
child's transgendered at the age of six, and I embrace it, and you should too, and that was pretty much it, and it was kind of odd. But anyway, so just sharing an example, a real-life story, after I just got done talking about it, how, again, ESPN becomes woke and talks about stuff that I'm not interested in when I'm turning on and watching Bobby Knight, especially something that happened years ago before all this wokeness broke out. So that was that. Then the other thing that developed since our last conversation was LeBron James. If you remember, we talked about LeBron James making some comments about a, an NBA executive who tweeted out support for pro-democracy in Hong Kong, and the Chinese didn't like that, so they took the NBA off their TV in China, and the NBA lost millions of dollars, and LeBron James cried about it and said that dude should have never done that, and he should educate himself, and on and on and on. So two things. One, LeBron James talks about uh, Brittany Griner, the NBA person or player that's in uh, a Russian prison after admitting guilty to uh, bringing cannabis into Russia. And he said that if he was Brittany Griner, he would question whether or not he wants to come back to the U.S. because they never supported her. Well, first off, she admitted guilt, and so she must serve the time. And second of all, from what I understand, both the president and vice president reached out to a wife. So I'm really not sure how LeBron James is uh, educating himself on some of these things because he's misquoting things. But then more importantly, talk about putting foot in mouth, he says Boston fans are racist. Okay, Boston fans are racist. He's a Laker. He's been the Cavaliers. He's been with the Heat. Probably gets to Boston. But here's the thing that I find very interesting about that comment. Apparently, he's part owner or belongs or is involved with the ownership group of the Boston Red Sox. Could you imagine an owner, part owner? Let's say Magic Johnson. Because I guess he was part owner of the Dodgers. Maybe he's still involved with that. But could you imagine if he came out and said that Dodger fans were racist? Now, LeBron James just said Boston fans were racist. He didn't even specify Celtic fans, from what I understand and from what I, from what I read. But as part owner, or even the main owner of the Red Sox, do I want somebody in my ownership group calling the fans that come to the stands and bring me millions, if not billions of dollars over the years, racist? Again, what's he thinking? I don't think he does. I think he's just entitled. He's all about himself, whatever benefits him, and he's just going to say whatever he wants. And now imagine this. It will never happen, but let's just play it out for fun's sake. What if he ended up playing for the Celtics? Would he have to retract that? Would he have to clarify, tell everyone he was misquoted? That's what you get when you start throwing out things, accusations without proof. And he didn't even bring out any proof from what I read. He just made a blanket statement. Boston fans are racist. He had to endure racism. You got to be very careful. See, that's the thing. We've gotten to the race card. Everybody's a racist. I was watching an exchange with a, a senator from Missouri, and I believe it was a professor from Berkeley, Cal Berkeley, and the senator I think it was Josh Hawley, was asking, you know, about who can give birth. And so as they had this exchange, the college professor just ends up calling them transphobic. These, this line of question is transphobic. Why? Well, it's causing harm to people. Why? Because you're having a conversation. See, so you throw out blanket statements, and then you can't even back it up. And that's what happens. When you get into, if you go to a debate class, the first thing you learn is first, don't concede your point. And second, if you go to name calling and you can't back up the facts, but if you go to name calling, you've lost. You have no point. And that's what's happened in politics. You go to name calling and then all of a sudden you have no point and you expect everybody to just call you racist, call you transphobic, call you a white supremacist, call you whatever, because you have no argument. You have nothing to say that's intelligent to add to the conversation. And so, again, there's a lot of this going on, a lot of it like academia. Take, for example, most recently in San Diego, apparently a school board president or a school board member was talking about mask mandates for school for the upcoming school year and basically made a comment, paraphrase that if you're a student and you don't want to wear a mask in school, don't come to school. Don't come to go someplace else. Isn't your job as a school board to make sure, as an educator, to make sure that the student's educational welfare is first priority and not just say, do what we want you to do or else go away. We don't want you. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. I've seen a lot of 
And that's the other thing, too. I've seen a lot of people make those kind of statements, whether it's CRT, whether it's transgender ideology, LGBT, whatever the ideology might be. Do it our way or else. Parents, you're domestic terrorists, go away. FBI, DOJ, go after them. But what they don't understand is that the kids, their education should be first and foremost at the front of it all. But it's not. It's at the end of it. It's the last thing. I just read something the other day that said that uh, academics and education, like students, have fallen behind drastically over the last couple of years because of everything that we've gone through, distance learning, um, masking, you know, whatever. All this whole thing has put everybody back. But here's the other thing, too. What is your school teaching? If your school is teaching CRT, LGBT, if that's their focus, transgender ideology and all this other stuff, well, are they really learning anything anyways? I mean, go do the research yourself and you'll see that people's comprehension in reading, in writing, and mathematics is very low. It's probably the lowest, depending on your source. It's among the lowest that we've had in a long time. Students aren't learning. Now they just blame it on a pandemic, but really it's what's being taught and how it's being taught. Now, fortunately, this past year, I was able to see where schools and teachers were able to balance the education with the safety aspects, putting students first, making sure that they're dealing with the different dynamics. So if a student had a behavior issue, they had an understanding that perhaps this is the first time in a couple of years they've been in the classroom. Maybe they're behind, so we need to spend some extra time. See, I saw it work in a way that proves that it can work. You can have the student come first, their academics, their behavioral needs, their personal needs, the whole thing done in a practical manner that takes into consideration all the things that are going on. It's well thought out, well planned out. So I know it can happen. I've seen it happen. I've experienced it happen. But yet in other places, they don't care. So when you have these leaders just making blatant uh, blanket statements with disregard of the kid, why have them around? Just pull your kid out. They're not learning anything anyways. Homeschool them. I'm sure there's a lot of retired people that wouldn't mind filling up some time teaching the younger generation. I just find it fascinating. And again, that's why we're going to be talking to Pam Altendorf here in a little bit about uh, what she's doing to affect change and the importance of it at the local level. Because again, what happens at the national level doesn't affect a lot of people at the local level. I mean, Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, he's getting pounded by the Democrats because he is refusing to give in and go along with all the stuff, the radical stuff that the, the, the Democrats want to do. And so they're pounding him, calling him names and all this stuff. But here's the thing. He's staying true to his constituents in West Virginia. If you read West Virginia newspapers, you'll see that the people of West Virginia don't want all this. It's a coal mining. Why would the coal miners want green energy? They'd be out of business. Their whole state would probably go bankrupt. So he's staying true to the people that elected him, and he's getting hounded. He's getting harassed. He's getting called names because he's standing true to this constituents, which is what he was supposed to do in the first place. So again, the locality of life is where we need to affect change. And once we start doing that, then um, we'll start to see things go a little bit differently. And speaking of locality of life, you know, we take a look at our daily lives and how do we how do we involve ourselves with the locality of life, things that are in our community, things that are in our neighborhood? Are we affecting change? Are we just sitting back and just letting things go? You know, there were there were times when us kids growing up, you know, we'd grab our bikes and we were told be home when the streetlights come on and stay out of trouble. We drank from a hose, from the neighbor's hose, from the stranger down the street's hose, whatever. It didn't matter. That was, that was life. But now we're inside on our phones, on our devices, on our computers. Our social world is online, and we discuss the hazards of that. We start to see communities crumble, fall apart. We see crime on the rise. Now, we have to be careful with things like that because it's dangerous to be out there. But, again, what are we doing just to help our neighbors, help our friends across the street, get to know the community? Are we doing neighborhood watches to make sure that our communities are safe? What are we doing to affect change in our local communities? Maybe it's something to think about, you know? Maybe it's something to consider the upcoming school year. What can we do to help those kids that are struggling a little bit more? Maybe they're walking to school in the extreme cold or the extreme heat. It's climate change is everywhere. Maybe it's raining, and when they're walking to school, 
Maybe we find out where they live and they're on the way. Maybe we can help out. I don't know. You have to decide for yourself what it is and how you're going to help. But it's something that we need to consider and something that we need to think about because otherwise, what's the point? If we're not going to help our neighbors, if we're not going to help our friends, if we're not going to be there, it's not like we have to be buddy-buddy, best friends, BFFs. But it's just being neighborly. It's having compassion on the neighborhood. Remember those gangster movies? They all talked about the neighborhood, growing up in the neighborhood. It was all about the neighbor, the community, the family. And then when they got into gangster life, it was about the family. Now, the wrong type of family, but it was still that commitment to the people around them. And that's what it is, people committing to the locality of life, the people around you, to make it better, make it safe, make it clean, make it okay, check in on one another. Oftentimes we wait for a tragedy. Maybe it's an earthquake, a tornado, maybe a hurricane or some other natural disaster or something tragic happens. Then we come together. We find out about someone, a loved one passing, and then we bring them, you know, a hot dish or something. But we have to, in our daily lives, do the little bit, the little bit, the baby steps to affect that positive change in our community. So coming up, Pam Altendorf. And we're going to talk to her, find out what she is all about and what kind of change she wants to affect in her communities. And maybe we can learn a lesson or two from Pam. And now joining us on Two Steps Head podcast is somebody who has decided to throw her hat into the political arena. Pam Altendorf is joining us. She is running for the House of Representatives for the state of Minnesota, a place that uh, is actually home to a lot of my family. In fact, I'm actually first generation outside of Minnesota, so a lot of roots there. And after the last couple of major political years, 2016, 2020, especially when it comes to the presidential election and national elections, we've had some, uh, it seems like the tone of politics has gotten really worse. I mean, it's always kind of been a nasty business, but it seems like it's gotten worse the last couple of election cycles. And so what made you decide to kind of throw your hat in that arena and get involved into uh, politics? Thanks for having me on today to interview me. Uh, It's a great question. I would say 2016, as you said, started to get a little bit ugly with politics, but that was the year I really started paying a lot more attention. It seemed like what was happening, especially with the presidential election, Uh, what you would hear on the mainstream news media, and then um, what was actually happening in reality just wasn't matching up. So, for example, for my business, I have a large sales business that spreads across the United States. And in the fall of 2016, I had been to something like 12 different states. So when I saw everywhere that Hillary was supposed to win by, you know, what the polls were saying, 97% or something like that, I truthfully was not seeing a Hillary Clinton sign anywhere across America that I was traveling. So I started to become very skeptical of the news. And a good friend of mine, who uh, she was a journalist out of Chicago that I respect very much, I said, what are we supposed to do? I, I feel like we're not getting the correct news. And she really steered me to start listening to independent journalists. And um, that's what I did. I really, I would say in 2016, started to deep dive and do my own research, you know, follow many different um, news media. But just to break away from that regular mainstream news is is important. I think that's important for everyone to do at some point. Yeah, the other thing that I do is I don't go to the generic internet search engines and their news. I actually go to like a news source. So, for example, not to be partisan on anything, but if I wanted to check out a new story, I'd actually go to Fox News, I'd go to CNN, I'd go to all the specific sites themselves. So that way I can find out firsthand from those sources. And then from there, like you said, you go to more of an independent journalist perspective, and then you can really kind of weed out what's going on. At least that's how I like to do it and get like the truth so that when I'm talking, not only can I see the perspective of people that just normally take in whatever the headlines are, but then I can also get more of an understanding of what's going on from different perspectives. And I think that's kind of wise for people to do is take a look at the news outside of the mainstream and you might get a little bit more in-depth and knowledgeable as to the topics that are going on. As far as the news goes, um, so you're running, it's grassroots. I believe that the country today really needs a lot of grassroots 
from the ground up. I'm not going to be able to solve the problems from the top down because the top is just too far gone into their politics, their theology of politics. I don't think they're going to change anything. So it has to come from the bottom up, the communities, the neighborhoods, the small towns, and then build up from there. How has your experience been with like local media and things of that nature when you've been dealing at the grassroots, smaller level of politics? I couldn't agree with you more as far as we have to make a change in our state, in our country, but it starts locally. And that's why I started getting involved. Uh, it was about January of 2021. Small group of us locally, we started to meet weekly and uh, started a grassroots group. And it really was just a group to connect with each other. And um, from there, we started, we, we were really about education. So we would have speakers come in and talk about a lot of different subjects uh, from, you know, how do you write a legislator? How do you effectively do that <clears throat> to green energy? And, you know, what is the truth behind green energy? So we started this group and what that did was really empowered people to feel like they had more education that then they could go out and make a difference. But going back to the media locally, uh, you know, we see this here in the, in the newspapers as well. I don't, I don't know if they're always doing a great job of reporting the stories um, so that it's easy to understand. Or so, for example, in my race right now, there's two Republicans running for the House race, and this is a primary election. That's very, very uncommon for my district. And when I'm out door knocking, I would say, and I'm, I'm door knocking Republicans, I would say 50% of the Republicans don't even understand that there's two Republicans still running for the same race. When you look at the issues, we have the, the national politics and the reports are you've got the economy, you know, gas prices are high. We've got inflation. We've got things on the shelves not being there when we have to go get groceries. Um, you have inflation on everybody's minds. And so when you take a look at kind of the things that are important on a national level to voters, do you find that the same as you're going door to door, talking to people, the issues? I mean, because a lot of times what I guess is important to some people, I know we've had Roe v. Wade uh, overturned by the Supreme Court. You know, we have LGBT things going on, and a lot of people would like to tell us that those need to be first and foremost on the voting ballot. But yet when it comes to just the average family, the average person, you know, we're looking more economy. We're looking at, like you said, you know, with schools, I mean, parents are really taking charge. You've got to fight the school board, not only the teachers. And so uh, school choice seems to be a topic that a lot of just average families are in, uh, wanting to know more about. What are some of the issues that you are finding when you're out there talking to people? Yeah, you're right. Obviously, right now, this is this is across the board, you know, the economy, the inflation, the gas prices, the high grocery prices, you know, those those are the talking points. But I will admit those are also the very easy talking points and a little bit of a cop out when uh, you have other uh, people that are running for political office and they're only talking about those points in the last two years in our country. You know, we have more than ever seen our constitutional rights um, really be threatened. We closed down businesses and for the first time, uh, business owners, small business owners especially, were told you don't have the right to work. Uh, we closed down churches and we were told that you don't have the right to worship. Uh, we have gone through mask mandates and uh, vaccines um, pushing this. So those are medical choices um, that, you know, should be protected, that, that people should have the right to choose what's, what's best for them um, and for their bodies and for their family. And so we can talk about those general issues because those are affecting us across the board, inflation, taxes, gas prices, that's affecting everybody. However, that's really not the deepest problems of our country right now. And we have to look at what are the biggest issues um, and it, it really is a deterioration of our constitutional rights. It also is um, where business, or I'm sorry, government has just really gotten too big, too inflated, and they are no longer listening to the people anymore. Yeah, you're right about that. It seems like politicians come out every four years or two years, whatever the election cycle is, they want your vote. 
they promise you everything, and then when they go back to wherever it is they're going to, whether it be a, a state uh, government or a federal government uh, level, they just go back to doing whatever they want to do for themselves. So what are you going to do? What are some of your passions when it comes to wanting to see change? And so you're out there, you're running, people are asking you, what are you about? What are some of those issues that you stand strong that you would like to really tackle when you get to St. Paul? Yeah, and, and I know there's there's so many issues right now. Um, I'm encouraged to see many other people like myself running. Um, you can call us, you know, just, you know, regular everyday people, um, moms and dads that are getting involved, business owners, people from across our state and across our nation. You're seeing new faces running. Uh, one of the biggest problems really is our government structure right now. It's It's the political elites, let's call them, that are on the inside and they are uh, possibly being controlled um, by PACs, by lobbyists, um, and they're not representing the people anymore. We, Our government was founded that we should have servant leaders go and serve in government and then leave, not to stay there for long term, not to become lifelong politicians and certainly not to profit off of the office. And so I am running as a servant leader uh, to go to St. Paul to bring accountability, to bring transparency back to our state government. And right now, more than ever, we need to have voters really being educated and not being manipulated, not letting emotions run them, um, and really being educated on the candidates so that they're aware of candidates that are running for the right reasons and candidates that are possibly falling into that trap of becoming part of that political establishment, which is the root cause of the problems in our state and our country. So when you take a look at, at Minnesota, because you have, you know, you have the, the coast, you have the left coast in California, Washington, Oregon, then you have, uh, you know, DC, you know, and, and New England. And, and so you get, a majority of the population on the coast trying to dictate to the rest of the country. But what they don't understand is you've got rural America, you've got farming America, you've got, you know, all these different industries, agriculture, things that don't really go or fit into the city life of New York, LA, Chicago. So for Minnesota specifically in, in your district, uh, district 20, which is uh, what, like the red wing area, right? Yep, correct. Um, what are some of the things that you guys need to do at the state level to help those people that are kind of struggling at, in those uh, industries? Right. Um, so my tagline or what I've been putting on all my literature and pretty much every answer comes back to less government, more freedom. It's the idea and the concept that government has gotten too big and um, they're over-regulating us, they're over-taxing us, and the burdens are, are too much for the average you know, citizen or small business to handle. So for example, uh, earlier, a couple months back, I went on a tour of an ethanol plant. And in the state of Minnesota, this plant has been waiting five years to get a, a, some, um, just a single um, thing that was they needed to have approved by the government and application. And they're waiting on that. And it's for just a simple um, thing for them to improve their facilities. Now, what's happening in Minnesota is we are one of the five uh, top highest states. So we are a very blue Democratic state, or at least we have been. We are trending to become more Republican in the last few years. Um, but Minnesota, just like every other blue state, you know, I, I try to encourage people to look at facts and it's the truth is the big cities, the, the real blue cities and the states that are blue are the ones with the highest taxes, highest crime rates. And so going back to just my tagline is less government, more freedom. We have to control government. We have to like get in there, cut, cut regulations so businesses can be productive. In Minnesota, we have to reevaluate the tax system. We are one of only 13 states that are still taxing the social security tax for um, or social security for seniors. That needs to be eliminated. And so these are some of the things that right off the bat we can do in Minnesota to help make our state productive, but to also stop driving 
um, citizens out of our state that are going to other states that do not have these tax burdens that we have here in Minnesota. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, kind of the liberal Democrats there. You know, take a look at, uh, at Minneapolis. You know, you've got what? Elon Omar, who is now the you know representative in Washington, you had Keith Ellison there for you know however many years he was there, and that's right in the heart of of Minneapolis. But then once you get outside of the Minneapolis St. Paul area, you start to get into more of a rural agricultural society. Is there really a disconnect, or is there a difference between what goes on actually in the cities versus what you see out in kind of the rural areas of Minnesota? Do you see a difference in thought and politics and religion and things like that? Yeah, most definitely uh, there is a, a disconnect. You know, we have just a few cities in Minnesota, uh, Rochester, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Duluth, that are deciding our elections. And by far, the majority of our state is red to deep red. Our house district here that I'm currently in, um, last time in 2020, the Republican won 59%. And so we are a, a strong, conservative, strong Republican district. Uh, and there is a bit of a disconnect that we're seeing the the landowners and um, many much of the tax base that's coming out of Minnesota um, is in the broader areas of Minnesota. And yet it is these small um, inner city areas that are deciding our elections. And so, um, yeah, we, we definitely need a little bit more representation for the rural areas. And I think I hear that often that we don't feel represented. One of the important things, obviously, is education, and we've seen an assault on education across the country over the last couple of years. I mean, first off, you have uh, school boards that are sitting there and trying to do everything they can to keep parents out of schools. They don't want parents to have any choice or any say in what the curriculum is. And then beyond the, the school boards, you've got things like critical race theory being taught. You've got in some areas, depending, I guess, where you're at, you've got uh, LGBT and that ideology. You've got now this whole thing about uh, trans drag shows and reading story times and stuff. I mean, it seems like it's really gotten over the top that people that are in education want to do anything and everything but educate the kids. They'd rather indoctrinate them. So... Again, when you're dealing with going into politics and you're talking to parents and they might be concerned because their what they want for their kids might not be what, you know, Minneapolis or St. Paul wants or, you know, Rochester or if you're in another state, you know, the capitals and the big cities seem to dictate a lot of things. Um, so what can you do to kind of deal with those educational issues from your level at the grassroots and in those smaller communities? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up education because that is a, a big topic happening here in Minnesota. It's something I've been very concerned about. In June, uh, myself and um, Steve Droskowski, who's running for the Senate, uh, we did town halls in five different towns just to listen to the voters. We wanted to hear their concerns, and a lot of them are based around education, so it is a hot topic. The one thing that is important to note, you know, that we have great teachers. Um, our administration in the school where my child went, they did a great job this last year. Our school board was great. They never masked the kids in my school. They allowed it to be masked choice. And so when we're talking about these issues, it is a really a broad issue in the state of Minnesota. And what we are seeing is something, it's a CRT, critical race theory, uh, being creeped into our schools. So even in small districts where I'm at, small rural districts, you know, we might have the greatest teachers, but some of this language, uh, that it also is coming in under the term uh, SEL, social emotional learning. And this is coming into the schools, it's coming in through textbooks, it's creeping in. And so I just wanted to make clear, it's not necessarily the teachers or the administration. This is a much bigger problem, a statewide problem that we have to address. So, um, and, and as you said, it's, um, it's something I've been very concerned about. Uh, I've posted some things on my Facebook page and um, it's alarming. It's, it's really alarming to see what's coming into the schools. Um, what's being presented to our children. We had a we had a questionnaire that went out to children, you know, that was asking very, very private questions that I'm assuming most, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth graders who were asked these questions didn't even know the answers to many of these things um, that they were asking, like, what is a pansexual? And so that those kind of questions being asked, you have to you have to wonder, 
even a medical doctor doesn't go that deep with your children. And what is the state of Minnesota doing with these questions? Why are they being asked? And is this a breach of privacy? So that is my concern, is always protecting the children. And um, this collecting of this data, um, that it's, it's just, it's not right. But in a way, it almost seems like if you can look at it, um, is this grooming? Are we introducing concepts to children that at these young ages they would have never thought about? And also, I know parents um, in schools very close to us, 20, 30 miles away, that they pulled books out of the schools, um, schools library, that again were very, very inappropriate for children. Um, talking about sexual natures and many things that, you know, I don't want to say maybe uh, publicly, but that are disgusting. And certainly children as young as five and six are not asking these questions. Um, we need to protect children's innocence and uh, and let's let's be aware of what's coming into our schools and, and really, really start to push back on this. But that's one thing that I've been very proud of is I have been going to the school boards um, way before I decided to run for political office. That was one of the things I've been doing this last year. And um, I'm so excited to see at a grassroots level to see parents getting involved and running for school boards and um, people running for city council, because uh, that's exactly what we need to fix this, is just to get more citizens back involved and to be realizing what's happening. Yeah, because as that stuff trickles down from the top, like you said, through curriculum, through textbooks, through whatever source it's trickling down from, if you guys are kind of that barrier or that dam there, you can push back on that and kind of protect the kids from having to experience that. I mean, how many times have we seen somebody, a parent, Go check out a book from apparently the school's library, read it at a school board meeting, and then gets cut off because the content is, you know, salacious, it's sexual, it's, you know, inappropriate, even in an adult setting, and yet this is the stuff that's sitting in the library. So, again, I can see where the importance of getting people in the right positions, even at the lower levels, like the the city uh, city councils, you know, the local school boards, you know, mm -hmm. because then you have a buffer when this stuff trickles down that you guys can really push back and fight against. Right. I am. I'm very excited to see the local involvement. I'm very excited to see. You know, at a school board meeting, it, it nobody used to come to school board meetings, and you know now it seems like there were parents present at almost every school board meeting. And so this is a good thing. And hopefully the, the teachers, the school administration, everybody sees this as a positive thing is that we are working together collaboratively to make, make the best decisions for, for the children. But there certainly has been a very concerning push of this indoctrination. You can call it sexual exploitation that has been coming into the schools at a very, very young age at five, six years old, that's very concerning. And, and I would just say this is a problem with privacy and then it's not the school's place. Um, some of these social issues need to be left up to the parents. Another big hot button issue is the second amendment. And you've got, uh, again, all different people weighing in on it. You've got, again, one of those uh, situations where one size does not fit all as far as answers. You've got, you know, the cities versus rural areas. And so when it comes to the Second Amendment, guns rights, how has that affected uh, you guys in your area when it comes to the Second Amendment and, and what people want in your community when you talk with them? Yeah, that's, this is something that everyone, you know, that I'm talking about, the conservatives, the Republicans, um, they're concerned about what happened at the national level. They don't want or we just have to stay very strong on this issue let's put it that way uh when when minnesota this district elects me i am very strong supporting the second amendment i have been from the beginning and <clears throat> one of my i think it was the goodhue county uh, convention you know i did a five minute speech and it was facts over fear and i really look at everything analytically and as a society we have to acknowledge that the media is controlling and, <clears throat> excuse me, manipulating our emotions. The media, I'll repeat that, the media is controlling and manipulating our emotions. And we have to step back and we have to look at closely, so when something as this huge tragedy happened in, in 
recently at that school, um, we're seeing 24-7 hour, you know, news cycle with them, you know, reporting on and somehow the gun is the problem, the gun is the problem, you know, so it is emotionally manipulating people to think that guns are the problem. Okay. So now if we could take a step back, what I always say is facts over fear is everywhere there's the strongest, strictest gun laws. So you don't have to look very far, but like in Chicago, you know, we have records amount of gun crime, um, uh, murders by gun. And so you cannot say that by doing stricter gun legislation, it is going to stop the gun crime. You know, people know this, uh, but again, we're being so controlled and manipulated by the media, we forget. Um, where there's more guns, there's less crime. Because for example, a shooter, maybe oftentimes either is having problems with mental health issues, is possibly on drugs. And when they're going to do something like this, they're actually looking for a soft target, like a school where there's no guns to stop them. Now, in contrast, if we knew that there was some sort of armed guard or, or something in the schools, I would, I would believe these school shootings would go down to almost zero. And so we can't continue to leave our children be targets um, like that. And I think pretty easily we could put funding or dollars towards making sure that um, these gun crimes or these, these type of situations that have happened in the past could, could drastically be reduced with some common sense. Yeah, I mean, I take a look at teachers and, you know, they go to school, they come out of high school and they decide, I want to be a teacher. So you go to college to become a teacher and you learn all the things it takes to be a teacher, but then you're put in a classroom and now all of a sudden you have to make the decision. Okay. I have to put my life on the line and I don't know how to do that because I was taught how to teach, not to how to be security, not how to save lives. And so it's a completely different thing. And so it's, we're asking a lot more of a teacher these days in the world we live in without properly preparing them. You know, we wouldn't send them into the classroom without the degree, without maybe their state licensing. You know, there's a lot of requirements that goes into it. So why not add to that and provide a safe education experience for the students so that they know when they're at school, they're going to be safe. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people just are disconnected with. They'd rather promote an ideology in curriculum rather than just keep the kids safe at school. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I would never ask a teacher, I would never want a teacher to feel like they were burdened, you know, to do this, to protect the children. However, it's not very, um, you know, it would be something that would need to be researched. I believe something like this is happening in another state, um, but it's not coming to me right now what state it is. Um, however, it wouldn't take much. It could be a janitor. It could be, um, you know, the football coach that is also the science teacher. It could be someone that was ex-military, and it would be someone that obviously would have to have that background check, would have to go through classes and make sure that they were capable for the situation. But again, it just goes back to if, if someone who's in this state of mind, in, in this terrible state of mind that they are wanting to go do harm to people, if they were aware that even one or two people in that school were armed, um, I would I would suggest that these type of instances would greatly decrease or almost stop. And then one final topic to touch on: we had Roe v. Wade in the Supreme Court, uh, kind of well, not really overturned, but just said that it goes back to the states. Okay, so we're not going to have this nationalized. Um, debate on abortion right now. It goes back to the states. Each state can choose what they want to do. And so now we've got this big fight going on state by state as to what we're going to do. Um, one of the things that's hard to do is have conversations about this because people, A, they're uh, hypocritical in their conversations. For example, someone who is pro-choice might say, my body, my choice, but yet turn around and mandate that we stick a needle in our arms and get a vaccine if we don't want it and then call us all kinds of names. Um, two, you've got, you know, money behind this business that a lot of people are making a lot of money. So you can't have an honest conversation about it. Three, most importantly, it seems like the, the, you know, whether it's the, the woman because she just isn't ready or it's a young child because maybe there was an assault, whatever the case may be, it seems like that person and the baby are the last two that are considered when it comes to this conversation. It seems like everything else is prioritized in the conversation as opposed to, the woman and the baby and what they need and what they have, are going through. So when it comes to this, 
Um, what are your thoughts and what do you think can be done to kind of create a dialogue to not one size fits all? I mean, cause you've got people talking about, you know, oh, if the mother is health is in danger, then she's going to die because there's no abortion. I mean, it's like all this kind of crazy talk and nobody has any rhyme or reason or any common sense when it comes to having a dialogue. Everybody's just completely divided and we can't, can't talk about it yet. It's probably one of the most, um, one of the biggest issues that's driving America right now, as far as people that are suffering and struggling with this decision that they have to make. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a great example of another emotionally manipulated topic. And right away when Roe versus Wade got overturned, it's the media is spinning the emotions out of control. So what Roe versus Wade happened at the federal level is they just specifically said this is not a federal issue. You do not have a constitutional right to have an abortion. And that was a correct decision. This needs to go back to the states. Our federal government was never meant to do the things that we're asking it to do. And again, it goes back to the it being too inflated and that we need to uh, get reins on that. Um, but back to Roe versus Wade. So in a state like Minnesota, nothing has changed here. And yet the media has somehow tried to whip up the public in this frenzy to make us think that there's going to be women in the back alleys dying because they're going to have abortions in back alleys. So it, it is truthfully, it's not true. And we have to stop this reacting emotionally um, by the state's decisions. If a state, say like California, decides to have abortions legal and a state, you know, down the road, Texas doesn't, then you can make that decision to live in California or to live in in Texas. And so this this whipping up everyone into a frenzy, it's not healthy. Um, It divides people. It's untruthful. And um, I I think as a nation, we have to really be aware. And I keep on saying, like, protect our emotions because we should not be driven by these emotions. Um, We should be we should be looking for the facts of these situations. Pam Altendorf is my guest. And as we wrap things up, anything else you'd like to uh, share as you go into this uh, election that's that's coming up? It's the votes coming up and people are going to decide where they want District 20 to go, what direction they're heading in. Anything else you'd like to share? I guess, you know, the big reason I ran, I, I put my, everyone says, throws, throws your hat in the ring. Um, you know, I was frustrated with how things have been going the last two years and, um, I really felt like, you know, to run for political office, you have to check these boxes. Uh, with my professional experience of being in sales, I knew I could public speak. You know, I knew I had these resources to be able to run. And I really felt like if I could check those boxes that I wanted to step up to do something um, to help the situation, you know, to be that grassroots candidate, to be someone that's coming from the outside, that's not coming in with these political connections. And so... What I would say to anyone that's listening right now is we have watched in the last two years, you know, we've been losing our freedoms. Um, Our government is way too big. Our government is way too inflated. And you see over and over the media is driving us by fear. So what I would suggest to the public is, first of all, protect your emotions, really research facts, really research candidates. Um, we're, we're in this place for a reason, and it's maybe because we've gotten a little lazy, um, and it's definitely because too many big interest groups, big pharma, you know, political elites are trying to control our government, our political atmosphere. And the only way we're going to bring real change is if we do elect people like myself, who's coming from the outside and who's trying to take this bottom-up approach that's really representing the people and not representing this establishment that seems like they have so much power and so much control. But I am very, very hopeful. I am seeing other candidates just like myself stepping up and uh, really wanting to make a difference. And so to the public, protect your emotions, stop allowing the mainstream media to control you by fear, and um, just really be a part of the change. Get involved locally. Go to local meetings, get involved in city council, um, school board, and just attending meetings. Um, It is not a time to be sitting on the sidelines anymore. We have to have citizenship. We have to have we have to people getting um, involved at a at a citizen level to make a real change in our in our state and then in our country. 
Pam, where can people find you? Is there a website, social media, any place where if they want to find out more information or maybe donate or whatever the case may be, they can uh, find more about you? Yeah, thanks. Um, it's pamaltendorf.com. It's A-L-T-E-N-D-O-R-F.com. Uh, Altendorf for House is my Facebook page, and I have an alt, I have a Rumble channel, um, so you can look for me there. But uh, yeah, we 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 are um, really looking for donations right now. Um, we're running in the Republican primary, and uh, the swamp uh, has gotten involved in my race, um, and many many flyers are coming out from lobbyist groups uh, trying to defeat me. So, which I find a little bit um, interesting and humorous that they are getting involved in a primary election and in an area that where Republicans are running by winning by almost 10%. And I would ask all the citizens to ask why, <laughs> why are lobbyist groups getting involved and supporting my opponent? And I think when you start to look deep and research, you'll find those answers. And I, I would appreciate your support. Pam Altendorf running for the Minnesota House of Representatives, District 20, the Red Wing, Minnesota area. Uh, check out our website. And, uh, Pam, thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to see how this all plays out, and we wish you all the best. Thank you for having me on today. I appreciate it. Special thanks to Pam Altendorf for joining us here on the show. If you want to find out more, you can check out her website and see what she's all about and uh, probably reach out to her if you need some Advice on maybe if you want to run for local office, how you can maybe get the ball rolling. And again, it's about community. It's about that locality of life. It's about being there to make sure that your kids, your grandkids, the neighborhood is a place that is safe and secure. You know, one of the interesting things is that, you know, we've become such a a migratory society. I think gone are the days when someone moves in and stays someplace for 30, 40 years. It's starting to become more nomadic. You know, we bounce around from job to job. I know during the pandemic, a lot of people moved to different places because their jobs allowed them remote work, and so they decided to move. I know in California, a lot of people left to go to Arizona and other places because the uh, the tech companies up in Northern California allowed them to go remote, and we're going to probably be remote for all eternity so there's a lot of change that, that happens, and so that sense of community isn't there anymore. You see for sale signs pop up across the neighborhoods, and people come and go. And over the course of uh, a span of 15 years, I think, in the community that I was in, all the people around me pretty much moved, changed. I think the only people that were left by the time I moved from that neighborhood was the immediate people to my right and to my left. I think everybody else had either passed because they were older or they had moved out. And I remember thinking all these houses around me when I first moved in, who was there? And by the time I left, how many times had that place changed hands? And so it is hard. It is hard to be able to affect change, to have that community. I remember when I first moved into that neighborhood, I spent 15 years there. They would have uh, neighborhood gatherings down the, down the street, like three or four houses down. They would always host whether it's 4th of July, Labor Day, Memorial Day, you know, they would have the, the big lawn parties. And it was fun and it was cool. But then eventually it started to whittle down, less people showing up, less people showing up because the new people moving in just stayed indoors. They didn't participate. When you would go uh, trick-or-treating, you know, you kind of walk up and down the streets. And the place I was in was a pretty good trick-or-treat place. A lot of people like to come to trick-or-treat. But you started to see more and more houses go dark as the years went by. Nobody wanted to participate and pass out candy. You see changes. People become strange. The door said it. People are strange when they're a stranger. But then when you break down that strangeness and you talk to them, say hi, become friendly, you know, it makes a difference. But we have to we have to – Take the first step, then take the second step, and then you're two steps ahead. We have to be the initiator sometimes. You know, we have to make sure that we're the ones that are approaching people and talking to them, just letting them know. I had a hard time when I moved into that neighborhood because they were friendly and they'd come over and they'd invite us and they would uh, want us to be a part of it. And it took a little bit to get used to it because we, we don't want people to invade our private life. We don't want people to know about us because we're skeptical of everybody. To me, trust is earned and not given. And then eventually after a while, yeah, you start to trust them and realize they're okay and start talking to them. And 
And it turns out that, okay, these are good people to hang out with. Other times when people have come to the neighborhood, you realize, okay, these are bad people. I'm not going to hang out with them. Don't need to talk to them. Just let them be to themselves. But whatever it is, we need to make sure that, like I said, we raise the standard in us. We bring out our inner greatness. We affect change. We can then inspire and motivate other people to do the same. Sometimes it just takes one. It takes that person that wants to head down the trail first, the trailblazer, and then the followers will come. A lot of people like to be followers. Sometimes we need a leader to step up. Maybe that leader is you. Maybe you're the one that can take the first steps to affect change in your community. Maybe you're the one that just wants to go out and say hi to people if they're out doing whatever there is they're doing. If they still mow the lawn and don't have a gardener. If they're just out, maybe a walk, casual walk to the mailbox, if it's out still on the uh, curbside rather on the house. Maybe someone's out walking their dog and you just walk up and say hi. Because, again, when we start to develop these communities, especially today when there's such a blend of cultures, such a blend of heritages, such a blend of people speaking all different kinds of languages, we tend to stay away from that. But imagine the richness that we can learn from each other when we are there talking to each other, finding out more about each other. It's something that we should consider. It's something that we can think about. Because, again, what's that one thing you're going to learn that one day? And maybe that's something I should revisit sometime. We talked about it, learning one thing, one new thing a day. And then over the course of a year, you've learned 365 new things that you didn't know about. Saying hi to that one person that you've never said hi to before. And then a year later, you've said hi to 365 new people. And then from that, how many stay connected? Maybe none, maybe one, maybe two. But it only takes that first time. How many random acts of kindness, one a day, as simple as holding the door for somebody to something maybe a little bit more complex and involved. But you do one a day. At the end of the year, you've affected 365 people with random acts of kindness. It's just a little bit. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes a little bit each and every day. And then over the course of time, it starts to accumulate and add up. And then when you look back, you start to see, wow, I did make a difference. Maybe at the time you don't think you are. But after it's all said and done, time passes. Look at the amount of change you've affected, the amount of kindness you've shown, the good deeds that you've done, the help that you've been, the influence that you've been. And now people are starting to talk about you in a positive way. And then maybe they want to go out and do the same thing. And maybe you share why you do it. And then they learn. And it goes from there. It's up to you. But you got to take the first step. And then the second step. And then you are two steps ahead. I am Son Edom, and this is Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. You can find us on RadioWarp.com, our website, Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. You can go there and you can watch uh, the show, the video aspect of the show. We also have our SoundCloud there where you can listen to the audio portion of the show. You can actually go to our SoundCloud page and download the episode and take it with you on the go. You can subscribe and never miss an episode. Get notified when new shows go up. You can go to our Insta, uh, Instagram page at TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and we post stuff there about the show. You can go to the the uh, link in the bio. It's a Linktree link, and it brings up some options like our YouTube and SoundCloud page, our merchandise shop, and Radio Warp. The link is there as well. If you go to RadioWarp.com and you click the Listen Live button, you can listen to some uh, live music, new music, pop music, some, uh, some 80s music. Other podcasts are played there too, 24-7. So maybe something to check out if you're sitting at a cubicle and you want to try something new. Maybe you're tired of the same old playlist. You want to try something new. Once you go to RadioWarp.com or you can download the app, Radio Warp app, Radio Warp app, download it. You can take it with you on your phone, both Android and iPhone. My personal page for Instagram is Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S, Edom Rocks. And again, same thing in the Linktree bio. Edom Rocks has a little bit more of my personal life, pictures of me and stuff like that, that interests you and you want to know more about me. And then um, you can listen to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, on uh, Pandora, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever. Hey, Surrey, hey, Google. 
hey, Alexa, play TWO, Two Steps Head Podcast, and we pop up. Take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. Thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.